This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Film Show. Today is Tuesday, September 5th, 2023. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer and box office analyst, Ryan Scott. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Let's kick things off with the box office discussions that we typically have on Tuesdays. And first up, I, I mean, I want to talk about a big story, maybe the big story in the box office world right now, but which is the Taylor Swift uh, era's tour concert film. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I think before we get there, I just wanted to do some like house cleaning of like how things went uh, in the box office over this past weekend. Um, What do you say, Ryan? How how did things go? Well, uh, you know, I was a bit of, I was a bit curious. So the number one movie of the weekend was the equalizer three over the three day weekend. It made 34.6 million accounting for Monday. It's at about 42 million. Um, What's interesting is that this movie I was actually very pessimistic about this movie's prospects because, you know, no press tour, no this, no that. It seemed like awareness was minimal. Boy, was I wrong. Uh, Denzel Washington can do no wrong. This this is one of the, one of the most consistent franchises of the last decade. If you look at just like how each movie opened, it's been like right in line, like with almost no decline and maybe a bit of a bump. Um, so, I mean, you know, given the movie's got about a $70 million budget. So, um, you know uh with a 68.3 million dollar worldwide opening you're looking pretty good um september's a little bare so i feel like you know you're looking you're in good shape there um so that was your number one movie but the biggest of big stories that happened over the weekend was barbie uh after adding in another 10.2 million dollars uh is now the number one movie of the year worldwide it's over mario has been surpassed uh that's a huge deal is there is Barbie still in the trajectory that you thought it would be on, you know, let's say like maybe two weeks ago? Um, or do you think that have things changed to the point where you can update your prediction about where Barbie might top out when this thing is all said and done? Um, no, I actually think it's actually pretty close to in line with where I thought because I did believe it would, 
it would get past Mario. And the one thing that Warner Brothers did is Barbie was originally supposed to hit digital today, and they have delayed that at least a week, uh, seemingly because someone at Warner Brothers was like, hey, we're still making money. Should we not give people the option to watch this at home yet? <laughs> um, so it's looking like it's going to at least overtake Avengers Age of Ultron, um, which would put it at you know about $1.4 billion. Uh, again, at the very top end of projections, uh, it, it could get to the top 10 worldwide, uh, just past the Avengers at 1.51 billion, but I see it maybe getting just outside of that, uh, maybe passing Top Gun Maverick at 1.47 billion, but somewhere okay. in that area is where I think we're going to end up, uh, gotcha. almost certainly past frozen two, maybe, uh, which is 1.45 billion, but yeah, so I mean, so, so hanging around the top 13 all time, pretty incredible. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about uh, Bottoms, which we talked a little bit about last week. And that movie opened to a much wider number of, of theaters this past weekend. Um, how did that do? And do you think the result was um, positive or negative? I think it did very well. Uh, so Bottoms expanded to 715 screens after being on just, uh, just 10 uh, last week. Um, it, uh, it made a little over $3 million over the, over the three day weekend. And it's about 3.7 when accounting for Monday. Now that, that equates to a, uh, uh, per theater average of four, uh, 4,000, little over $4,200. The only movie that had a better per screen average was the equalizer three. Uh, even Barbie was only at 2,800 give or take. So bottoms had a tremendous per screen average. Uh, even in that expansion. So what's probably going to happen, you can see next week MGM will roll it out a little bit more or at least keep it in about the same number of theaters, uh, test which markets it can potentially do well in. Um, but yeah, so I mean, given the movie's got about an $11 million budget, um, it, it's it's at $4.5 million so far domestic, but keep in mind that's with like a bit of a delayed rollout. So I think this is very good. I think the reviews have been very good. Reception's been very good. With a release like this, you can build word of mouth. So yeah, I think we, I think you're on a very good trajectory with this movie and, and I'm very hopeful uh, that it continues to do well because I've seen it twice and I think it's absolutely hilarious and it's a very good movie. So awesome. Okay. So uh, let's talk about the big box office story, which is this Taylor Swift era's tour news that we talked about a little bit, I think on Thursday when this news first broke. Um, and now we have learned a little bit more about it, but uh, Ryan, I haven't had a chance to talk to you about this yet. What what was your like initial reaction when you saw that this was happening? Because this was a very quick, sort of unexpected release of of news here, and then like tickets immediately went on sale. It was it was it was very much a like surprise. This is happening type of announcement. Yeah. Uh, so for me, I thought like, oh, this makes a lot of sense because like that concerts been making a ton of money and i kind of thought like okay it's a concert film so you know maybe you don't need a bunch of lead up it's like a fathom release type thing you put it in theaters for a little bit whatever you know but it's taylor swift so i'd probably make a fair amount of money but this very quickly steamrolled like even within that afternoon last week into something much 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 bigger um and uh yeah i mean it, like i like i like taylor swift an awful lot um so like for me like like, hey, cool, I get a chance now to go see this concert without spending, like, an arm and a leg to go see it. But, like, from an industry standpoint, I'm fascinated with what's going on here because it's kind of, it could end up setting some precedents that that um, have some impact for uh, maybe years to come, if I'm not being too dramatic about it. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about that in a second. So you alluded to this earlier, that this thing snowballed into a big deal. And it, I believe, in one day amassed... 26 million dollars plus in box office pre-sales which 
was pretty incredible for AMC theaters standpoint. I, I think they, I think it broke the previous single day ticket uh, sales record, which was set by Spider-Man No Way Home. So uh, that movie. Yeah. So you're, you're talking about a movie that ultimately went on to make $1.9 billion. Yeah. So, I'm yeah. not sure that Taylor Swift's movie is going to do that, but I guess we can talk about that in a second too. Uh, before we, we get to that next uh, aspect though, I, I just did want to mention that um, this movie, ha- I guess is a big enough deal already that Universal has moved the release date for The Exorcist Believer, which was supposed to come out on a pretty perfect Friday the 13th for them in October. And now that Taylor Swift's movie is coming out that same day, they were like, you know what? Let's get away from that. Let's move our our release date one week earlier. So at least we have one week to ourselves before we just get potentially obliterated here. Uh, or at least, um, if not obliterated, then then cut into significantly. Um, so, uh, so yeah, tell me a little bit about what you were talking about a second ago, Ryan. The, the idea that this this uh, move has potential consequences that we might be seeing for years to come. Well, let's start with the idea that Universal had already, they had this release date locked down for a long time for The Exorcist. And it is very, very abnormal for a movie to get announced this late in the game that would force a move like this. You have to understand, now they have to change all the marketing to move it up a week. You know, so if you have any press stuff scheduled, any of that, it's got to be a week moved up now. It's a big deal. And that now Exorcist Believer is also now opening only a week after Saw X. So they don't have as much time from another big horror movie. So from Universal's perspective, yeah, you should. I'd be pissed. And Mm -hmm. getting to the bigger element of that, part of the reason that Universal and other studios are pissed. Now, Universal is the most pissed because they were also potentially going to distribute this movie. They were there were apparently quiet conversations going on behind the scenes. But what ended up happening is. AMC theaters. Yes. The theater chain AMC theaters is actually the one distributing this movie. And they have a partner. I forget the name of the smaller company. That's sort of like working to get the, the, the concert film in like smaller theater chains, like back in Arizona, there's a chain called Harkins. that's playing it here in Austin. There's the um, Alamo draft house. And we also have a small drive-in out here that's playing it. So but mm-hmm. AMC Theaters is ultimately the, the distributor, the distributor, and even just a couple of years ago, that would have been straight up illegal. Yeah. So Variance Films is the the small sub distributors yes, that you're talking about, go. and they're they're the ones that are um, working with uh, non AMC theater chains like Regal and Cinemark, and like you mentioned, Draft House and some of these other smaller um, uh, chains as well to distribute the movie. Um, and so you're talking about it being illegal, and I, I believe the the uh, legal framework there comes down to something called the Paramount Consent Decrees, which I think we've talked about on the show before. But like, basically, it, it back in the day, studios owned movie theaters, their own movie theaters, and they could play their own stuff in them. And the government eventually stepped in and said, okay, this is bad for business. We're not going to allow you to do this anymore. Uh, and basically split up that monopoly, right? And then back in 2020, I think that those rules were flipped once again. So technically, you know, I think we talked about this in this context, you know, Disney or Amazon or any of the major big uh, players in Hollywood could buy their own theater chains or, or buy AMC for that matter, if they wanted to, you know, throw enough money around and, and who knows what kind of deal could be done. They could buy a big theater chain 
and basically it would be restored to the very, very old days of the ways that that movies were played in this country. So um, we haven't seen any major acquisitions or anything like that yet. I mean, there have been small versions of this, like Netflix bought the Paris Theater in New York City. And uh, I think they also now own or at least have like a majority stake in the Egyptian theater in Los Angeles and things like that. So, yeah. uh, but we haven't seen it in like a, on like a nationwide scale yet. So um, I think that's what you're talking about, right? When you say that like a few years ago, this would have been illegal. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And, and, you know, and then also you talk about the idea that these studios are used to, yeah, we distribute, like that's what we do. Um, you know, so the idea that, you know, Universal was in negotiations to possibly distribute this. And uh, I guess what I, part of what I had read is that some of the studios were like, well, no, we want to wait till the tour is over to distribute this. So it possibly would get kicked to like 2024. And the Swift family was like, nah, that doesn't suit well with us. And AMC theaters is over $4 billion in debt. So they get the chance to distribute this, not only get with their usual share of the ticket sales, but the lion's share of everything from what figures to be a huge hit you know, they were like, hell yeah, let's go. Yeah. So when, when we were talking about this, uh, last week, um, I was wondering what the deal was that, that Taylor Swift and her family and her her people, her representatives and stuff have worked out in, in her favor for this, because I said, she's like a super smart businesswoman. She knows what she's doing in in this kind of thing. And that information has, has actually come out since we recorded last. So puck news published this, uh, article saying that, the deal prov- uh, provides that 43% of the gross stays with the theaters and 57% will be shared by the Swifts and AMC as the distributor. Um, and Variance, that company that we mentioned that's dealing with Regal and Cinemark and those other things, is getting like a one-time fee for their services. So the Variance is not going to be sharing in the, the yeah, grand. Yeah, var- Variance uh, will not be a profit participant, but I'm sure that fee that they're getting is healthy. Yes, yes. So, and and we don't know, like that 57% that's going to be shared by the Swifts and AMC, we don't know what the split of that is going to be in terms of like how much AMC is going to make and like literally how much Taylor Swift is going to make on this. Um, but that those are the numbers as we know them right now, which is um, is like, yeah, just an, a, sort of an interesting wrinkle to throw into all this. Yeah, because 43% isn't super far off from what a theater would keep under normal circumstances. It's usually estimated to be around 50%, give or take. So the fact that AMC is getting that 43% automatically and then say even if it was another 25% of that 57%, that is a gigantic windfall compared mm-hmm. to what it would normally be. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, that's no small thing, especially when we start looking at some of these early numbers. Um, so one other thing that I wanted to mention here from that puck report says that, uh, theaters that play the Taylor movie must agree to carry it for a minimum of four weeks and to show trailers in advance, but they can play it for as many as 26 weeks without worrying that the deal terms will change. Um, and then after 13 weeks, the Swifts are free to put the movie on streaming and we don't know where it's going to end up on streaming yet because those rights are still available, uh, at least as of this recording. So any any major streamer could come in and probably pay a fortune to acquire the, scre- the streaming and, rights to that. And thing. let's assume that that's going to happen because AMC Theaters is not in the streaming business. In fact, they do not want, they want nothing to do with that business. Yeah. So, so yep. you know, so the odds are that you're, I, I would, it would amaze me if Netflix doesn't, you know, like, throw out a fortune here because they had that taylor swift documentary a few years ago that did really well for them mm-hmm. this americana i believe it was called yeah uh, but yeah so i would imagine that like netflix is gonna try to pay a 
fortune to get the rights to this thing. Yeah, but, and but, I, I didn't see it, but uh, there was a folklore. The Long Pond Studio Sessions was also on Disney Plus, so there's some speculation that maybe Disney Plus would be interested in this too. But like, I, I don't. I know would think so. Financially, you know, what makes the most sense for these streamers, especially well, now that I, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I think that Long Pond Studio Sessions thing was a much cheaper because uh, like that was sort of something they did while they were recording the album or whatever, you know yeah. what I mean? And it's good. It's, I actually highly recommend cause that even if you're not into Taylor Swift, typical stuff, that's more of a folky album and uh, you get to see this live performance. It's very interesting. But again, I think that was a much cheaper acquisition than, you know, cause I mean, you're probably going to be talking tens of millions. I would guess to get the rights to this thing. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. So I, I am curious like about the f- future of what this means. Cause the, the one thing that you mentioned, like the studios are upset because typically the studios are jostling with each other to plant the flag on these particular dates, right? Uh, you know, sometimes, year, oftentimes years in advance. And then for a distributor to just, you know, throw a grenade in that at the last second and be like, hey, surprise, we're doing this thing that nobody knew about. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, I'm, I'm sure Universal is pretty pissed off about this. But uh, I, I, I do wonder how replicable this model is going to be like, you know, yeah, maybe Beyonce gets a version and, and some other, you know, major bands or something like that do a version of this. Um, but like, aside from concert films, it's not like, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong here, Ryan, but it doesn't seem to me like AMC is going to be interested in snapping up the rights to, you know, an indie horror film or, um, you know, like a typical narrative movie because they don't want to be in direct competition with the studios that they do business with all the time. Um, right? Or, or am I wrong about that? Uh, look, I, I don't want to... Prognosticating's never been my my best <laughs> thing here. But, but I will say like, okay, you're narrowing your focus a little bit, I would say, but like concert films, absolutely. But what about like sports rights? You know, what about like broadcasting, you know, sports games or something? You make a deal with... You know, I'm just, this is spitballing. Like you make a deal with the NFL, stream the Super Bowl at AMC theaters or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I don't know, Mm -hmm. but like, but sports rights seems like something UFC. There's lots of other things out there that, that could be special event type stuff. But then I could see a world where like, okay, maybe this small horror movie or something plays at a festival. The major studios don't scoop it up or they don't get a big deal. And then maybe AMC looks at it and goes, well, you know, we don't pay a fortune to get this you can exclusively run it in our theaters. Uh, Hey, we get all the ticket sales from that. So even if, you know, it doesn't do incredibly well, you know, it's hard for us to lose our money on this. So, Hey, let's give it a go. Like I could see a world in which that maybe happens. Who knows? But I agree with you that it's going to be a tenuous thing because you know, you're the, the, the studios and theaters need each other as they currently exist. But at the same time, a company, the other thing that the studios need to recognize is AMC is the biggest theater chain in the world right now. Uh, like it can't go under and they mm-hmm. are $4 billion in debt. They are not in a favorable situation. Like they are doing things to try to figure out a way to shore up their finances. You have to diversify your revenue streams. Part of that is like they launched a line of popcorn and stuff earlier this year. And I actually wrote a thing about how that's not as silly as it sounds in terms of making some profit potentially. But this is another way where, okay, fine. If we're still, if we're locked into 50% of ticket sales from here till the end of time, we got to do something else to move the needle and this could move the needle. So yeah, Yeah. it's going to be tenuous, but the theaters need AMC or the studios need AMC just as bad as AMC needs the studios. So. Okay. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Uh, in the meantime, let's take a break and then we'll be right back. 
All right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, Marvel. They announced, I think this was late in the day on Friday, or maybe it was Thursday, that they were going to delay a bunch more of the release dates for their upcoming projects. This is no surprise. The strikes are still ongoing. Uh, both of them, unfortunately, uh, neither one has been resolved yet. But uh, yeah, so I'll just run through a couple of the, the announcements here. So season two of What If was supposed to come out earlier this year. It is now going to be coming out in December, the end of December of this year. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, Hawkeye, the, the spinoff of Hawkeye called Echo, was actually supposed to come out on November 29th of this year. It has now been moved to January of 2024. Um, that's the one that features uh, Alakwa Cox playing the, the role that she played in Hawkeye. And, and I think uh, Daredevil and Kingpin are supposed to be in that show as well. Um, X-Men 97, the animated series that's supposed to be like a sequel to the, the X-Men animated series from the 90s, uh, was originally going to debut this fall and is now going to be coming out in early uh, 2024. Um, thankfully, the second season of that, which had already been announced, does not seem to be in danger. So it seems like there's still going to be two two seasons of that. And then the uh, Agatha uh, Harkness spinoff from WandaVision uh, was originally going to drop in winter of 2023. And it now has been pushed all the way back to fall of 2024 ahead of next Halloween. So probably around the time, around this time of next year is when we're finally going to see that, even though that show, the production for that show has been done for a long time now. Um, one sort of interesting note about that is that uh, the uh, subtitle of that show has changed every time there's been an announcement about that series. So originally it was called Agatha colon House of Harkness. And then the next time it was referred to by Disney, it was called Agatha uh, Coven of Chaos. And now most recently it was called Agatha Darkhold Diaries. And um, I think it was somebody at Variety was saying that basically like this is, this idea is, is a purposeful thing that Disney is doing to sort of indicate that Agatha, the the character, is like wreaking havoc on the title of, of her own show. So this is not like, you know, people in in a boardroom at Disney not being able to agree on what the title for this thing is. It's like a bit that they're doing, basically. Um, Do you buy that? Do you buy that? Um, I mean, kind of, because like no other major Marvel show has, has done or, or Marvel movie even has had that many title changes already. Like this is already what, two, two title changes. And I, you know, they've changed the title of some stuff before. I'm thinking the new captain America movie, for example. Um, but I don't think they've done multiple title changes that I can remember off the top of my head, at least not for many years. And, and with the, uh, idea that, that Agatha is the sort of, um, chaos figure in the marvel cinematic universe like that makes sense to me um but uh it sounds like you you doubt that i i just have it does seem a bit like it does seem like an interesting sort of like convenient way to i don't know because I, I yeah I, I i'm not saying for sure but it did seem a bit like a like okay all right come you know that's that's sure that's a way for you to explain this i suppose but uh but yeah i don't know it 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 does seem that that show has seemed a bit messy in some ways but who knows i that could just be me yeah to it, but. okay um one other show that is not really going to be moving i don't think at all is season two of loki which is going to be debuting this fall and there's a new um teaser trailer for Loki season two that just came out the other day. And I wanted to talk to you about that, Ryan. Um, October 6th is when the show hits Disney plus. So like almost one month exactly from today. And you and I talked on this podcast about 
the original trailer for Loki season two. And we talked all about our thoughts about Loki and the state of the MCU and all that. And that wasn't that long ago. So we don't need to really rehash this, but this, this new teaser is only like 46 seconds long. And I'm curious what you thought about it. Did, did it make you more or less excited to see the thing? Like what, what, what were your takeaways from this? Um, look, it's a brief teaser. I mean, so it's, I don't know that I'm more excited. I like, I've been very hard on these Marvel shows and I mean very hard for a guy that loves Marvel. I've been pretty, pretty hard on the, I liked Loki a lot and I'm looking forward to see the second season. But uh, the, my biggest takeaway is that boy, sure. Not a lot of Jonathan majors in this trailer. Uh, you know, I don't want to dwell on that too much, but the, they are not leaning on that. Cause it kind of felt like you would lean on the Kang thing a little bit harder, but they're certainly not. I, I think my, my, yeah, certainly the, the Jonathan majors thing is like, there's a cloud that's hanging over this whole show and it's going to be very, very interesting to see how they handle that whole situation. I guess we'll talk about that more as the show comes out and sort of uh, hash through our feelings about it in in real time when that happens. But um, my big takeaway from this was like, oh my God, this was 46 seconds, but there's so much stuff packed in here. So at one point, Loki's in front of a... uh, a sporting goods place called Piranha Power Sports that has a bunch of jet skis out front, which jet skis were like a uh, a poignant part of season one with um, Owen Wilson's character's desire to ride a jet ski. And then they're back in what seems like the, the World's Fair of like 1904 or something like that. And they're hopping all through time. They're, they're at movie premieres. There's this Miss Minutes is doing the... Uh, the Dennis Nedry thing from Jurassic Park, which I figured you would appreciate, Ryan, with Jurassic Park being your your favorite movie of like the uh-uh-uh finger wag kind of thing. Yeah, um, for sure. There's just for like sure. so much going on and, and packed into this thing. So um, I guess, was there like a particular uh, a visual or anything that jumped out at, at you that you're excited to see? I don't know about excited, but I think the the visions of the future are kind of interesting because it'll be interesting to see like, how they sort of future sci-fi is always interesting because it's like how accurately or inaccurately can you envision the future? And so I'm sort of curious what that looks like through, through like a MCU Loki filter. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And, and also like the, uh, the time loop, um, component of this, we knew that Loki was going to be jumping through time in the season, but the idea that like he would have to complete the same task over and over and again, over and over again, or, or, um, complete maybe the same task in a different way or maybe with different people or uh, with with a different spin on things kind of makes this feel more like a like a twist on Groundhog Day or like a Palm Springs or that kind of you know time loop uh, premise than what I expected from this I just thought it was going to be more in a straight line and him kind of bouncing you know back and forth on that on that timeline as he was trying to solve whatever the, the main goal of the season is. Um, but this trailer sort of indicates that like, maybe it's going to be a little bit more circular than, than straight. So um. yeah, that's, it definitely seems like we're going time loop. Um, it, it, which, which, um, you know, like I, I, I think that's been done a lot lately. So I'm, I'm like a little bit, you know, like I'm, I'm a little, I don't want to say I'm worn out on it cause I like it when it's done well, but, you know, again, hopefully it's done well. Like that's one of my big things is that like, I just don't want it to feel like a bunch of this other time loop stuff we've seen recently. Yeah. Last thing I wanted to mention very, very quickly is that I did an interview with uh, Ed Solomon, the screenwriter of Men in Black and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Full Circle, a bunch of other things. And Franklin Leonard, who is the founder of The Blacklist, um, because they have started this uh, new um, screenwriting 
Zoom series called Word by Word for the strike, like during the the writer strike, and they're raising money for people who are affected by the strike and the, and the studio's uh, inability to create a, a decent deal for people. Um, and you can read all about that on, on slashfilm.com. I think there's some really cool stuff going in there. They've had like incredible guests, uh, including Neil Gaiman and Eric Roth, the writer of like Forrest Gump, and Jesse Armstrong, the guy who created Succession, and Kemp Powers, who did uh, One Night in Miami, and Sharon Horgan, who works on Bad Sisters. And uh, the, the guest list is unreal, and it's free to just like sit in on this Zoom session and you can, which happens once a week and you can write in your own questions if you want them to talk about things. If you want to start, uh, try to steer the conversation in a particular direction, you can do that. Um, so yeah, check that out. Uh, it's called Word by Word is the Zoom series. You could sign up to uh, participate in that every week if you're interested. Um, yeah, I think that's going to do it for today's show. Ryan, do you have any, any closing thoughts on anything that we've mentioned here? Anything that you didn't have a chance to say? Uh, yeah, so I actually hesitated to say it because there was nothing official yet, but Hollywood Reporter just put out an article that uh, theater owners are now predicting a $100 million opening for the Taylor Swift concert doc, uh, and that um, it could could go as high as $150 million domestic opening weekend. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a big windfall <laughs> of cash, so keep an eye so- on that. Okay, yeah. Before we wrap up, this is the, this will be the last thing that we talk about. So the ticket prices, I think, are like nineteen dollars and eighty nine cents for adults, like nineteen eighty nine, like one of Taylor's albums. Ha ha ha. Uh, so the idea that this is um, a more expensive prospect than going to a normal movie um, obviously means that this movie is probably going to make a ton of money, especially in its in its opening, like you said. Um, I know you hate predicting things, Ryan, but like given how big of a deal this was when it was initially announced and how those those records were broken with pre-sale tickets and stuff like that. Do you think that this movie, I won't ask you to like pin it to a number, but do you think this is going to be, you know, like one of the biggest movies of 2023? I think so. You got to focus on domestic because I have no idea what the international rollout might look like here. Uh, But you got to keep in mind also Taylor Swift has fans worldwide. This is, you know, so, uh, but I would say uh, if you're looking at the, uh, to get into the top 20 world uh, domestic for the year, you'd only need God, something like 150 million or something like that. So if she can do that opening weekend, yeah. So, I mean, I'd say, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that like, also you're talking, these theaters have to play it for a minimum of four weeks. So even if you have a significant drop off that second weekend, that's still a lot of money, you know, cause even if you drop off 60% from 150 million, you're still talking, $65 million second weekend or something. I mean, that's insane. So, you know, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this could be a gigantic, actually real quick. Let me look up what I, the domestic numbers uh, real quick, where, 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 so I can be more specific. So Barbie's sure. the number one of the year for 612 million domestic top 10 sound of freedom is 181. So, I mean, after two weekends, you could easily be in the top 10, to get in the top five, you need 310. That seems like a lot, but who knows? Not impossible if you have an opening weekend that size. So, yeah, this could be the win that the fall movie season needs. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I want to see movie theaters succeed, and I welcome anything that does that. So I am in favor of this, uh, and I'm very interested to see how this all plays out. Okay, yeah, we'll 
Stay tuned for uh, more. We'll be tracking this in real time as it goes. So you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. The SlashFilm show is, is published two times a week, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailback topics to us at bpearson at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.